0: All right, turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. We're in a series, The Seven Motivations of the Christian Life, and this is the imminent return of Jesus Christ, the imminent return, the rapture of the church, and this is part two. Last week, we set the foundation of why the rapture of the church is an imminent event. That means it could take place at any moment. You know, the Lord could have told the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, He could have told them, now look, this is not going to happen for guys over 2,000 years, so you can relax. Don't be concerned about it. He did not instruct him by the Holy Spirit to write it that way. He had them write about the rapture as it could take place at any moment. Now that's important because if that's the way he had them write it, then that's the way he wanted them to think about it. Does that make sense? The imminent return of Christ at the rapture is a very strong and definite motivation of the Christian life. It is a strong stimulus for believers to serve the Lord. Now last week we talked about, and we're going to do the first two points in very quick review today. Last week we talked about the fact of his coming. The fact of his coming. We know, (laughs) I love this, we know he is coming back because he said so. You don't need anything more than that, folks. And he, not only that, he not only said it, he put it in writing. So we see the fact of his coming in John 14, 1. It says, let not your heart be troubled. That's why we can be excited about the rapture and we can have joy in our Christian lives. Christian, can I tell you this? The worst you will ever have it is now. The future is bright for the believer. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, it's heaven, there you may be also. So we see the fact of his coming and we s- give you a lot of scripture on this last time. Secondly, though, the imminency of his coming. He's not only coming back, but he wants us to view his coming back as something that could take place at any moment. Now, when it comes to the doctrine of imminency, folks, let me say this. This is a truth of scripture that affects, motivates, compels, is a stimulus in us, in our Christian lives, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ as believers. The apostles were looking for Christ to come back in their lifetime. Just one scripture on this directly. Let's look over in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and it says this. Paul talks about the grace of God that brings salvation. It's appeared to all men. The grace of God teaches us to deny as believers deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, verse 13, here you go, looking, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, we should be looking for the rapture. Now, the church should have always been looking for the rapture, but we are seeing the unfolding of the setting up of the tribulation period. Now, if the rapture is an imminent event, and it means it could take place at any moment, then we should be looking for the rapture even before the tribulation. But we're so close to the tribulation period. How do you know that? We're in the last days. How do you know that? The biggest reason we know we're in the last days is Israel is back in the land. May 14th, 1948. And that is an absolute miracle. I was talking to somebody, and they were literally taking the words right out of my mouth as I was talking to them. Now, not literally, okay, because that would be messy. But uh, they were saying, yeah, Israel's back in a land. And they were saying, no other people group in all of history, no other group of people has ever been dispersed all around the world and has kept their identity, their language. That's one of the first things to go. Did you know that? They've kept their identity, they've kept their language, and they are back in their land, just like God said it would be in the last days. How do you know that? We're in the last days because God said that would happen in the last days. And it hasn't happened until May 14, 1948. We're living in unprecedented time. So the imminency of his coming, looking for that blessed hope, looking, written in the present tense— Okay? That means this is something we should be doing all the time. And that leads us to where we left off last week, the preparation for his coming, the preparation for his coming. If Jesus could come back at any moment, then how are we as people to prepare for that? Does it even matter? Yes, it does. So much so, that the New Testament is full of passages having to do with the fact of the soon coming of Jesus Christ and also the proper response we should have as people. All right? Now, before we get into this for believers, let me say this right off the bat. First, you need to be a child of God. Otherwise, he's not coming back for you. If you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be left behind at the rapture. And you don't want to be left behind. Now, you know, some, I've heard people say, well, you know, you people emphasize the rapture so much. What about hell? We emphasize that too. You know what the tribulation is, folks? The tribulation is a foretaste of the suffering. And it's just a, it's just, it's a reminder of what hell will be like. Unbelievable suffering. Not in this world, in the next world, and it is eternal. You need to be a child of God if you're going to go with the rapture. Not only that, if you're going to be saved from hell to heaven, you need to be a child of God. Now, most people think, okay, well, what does that mean? Oh, I know what it means. I need to live in a Christian way. I need to cut out the bad things. I need to start doing good things and all that. Looking at themselves, looking at their performance, looking at... Getting religious, but getting religious will not save you. What we need is we need our sins gone in the eyes of God. You see, we've got a problem. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We have a problem, and our problem is sin. And once you get there, look up here. Let me show you this illustration. I know that we do this regularly. By the way, the Grace Conference, what a wonderful place to see people who value this. They love it. People who never went to Florida Bible College, uh, somebody told me a story where they went to I don't know if it was a funeral or what it was they went to, but it was Catholic. And they went to this thing, and there was a, a Catholic priest. Now I th- made, it might have been locally here. Maybe somebody last Sunday told me this is a Catholic priest. And he, he got up and he, he, he used the wallet. He gave the gospel. And I'm thinking, where did he get that? That is so cool, right? Look, this hand represents you and me. We're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. We're sinners. God calls that sin. We all have sin on us. Yet the Bible says God loves us. God hates our sin, but he loves us. You cannot go to heaven with sin. The Sin separates us from God. Heaven will be a perfect place. No sin will be allowed to dwell there. Not even one Revelation says not even one lie, any sin at all. It'll be 100% pure like Jesus himself. And to get to heaven, you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. Well, we have a problem. We're sinners. Not only that, but look at Romans 6.23. It says this, for the wages of sin, we've sinned. Wages are what you get paid. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. In other words, if we get what we deserve for our sin, we're going to have to spend forever separated from God in hell, in conscious suffering. Okay, now we've talked about that even in itself being a motivation in the Christian life to live for Christ because we don't want people to go there. And that's why I'm presenting it right now. The wages of sin is death. This is the only payment for sin. Good works do not pay for sin. Going to church doesn't pay for sin. Giving money, being baptized, trying to turn from sin or be sorry for your sin, none of that takes the sin away. None of that. Living in a Christian way, that doesn't take the sin away. You need a death payment. Now, if we do it, we'll be lost forever. But God does not want that for anybody. He wants everybody to live with him in heaven. He loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. So what he did, he himself is the only one qualified to do something about it. And he entered the human race, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one. And when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sin, he took it upon himself. And he made the payment for us, leaving us nothing to pay for. He died and he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave And here's what he says in his word. If you will believe, trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, all your sin is taken care of, all your sin is gone, all your sin is forgiven. And not only that, he gives you the gift of eternal life. If this booklet was everlasting life, and here's our sin. When you trust Christ the Savior, your sin is put to his account, and he puts to your account his very own righteousness. You go to heaven... On, with the righteousness of God, with eternal life, you are in Christ. You have eternal life. And it is a free gift. Notice it here in Romans 6:23. the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You cannot earn your way to heaven. Your good works will not save you. The only way you can go to heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I know it was mentioned uh, earlier in Sunday school, but these verses that we have up here, and we'll have them on the screen here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. These are the ones that made it clear to me. So I was raised in religion that taught me my good works could help me get to heaven. But what does the Bible say? It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast through faith through faith in what faith in jesus christ you're putting your faith your trust in him that he made the payment for your sin and when you do he gives you everlasting life you're declared righteous in his eyes you're justified from all things wait a minute that sounds too easy friends salvation's not an easy thing he did all the work though Somebody, yes, somebody had to pay for sin. That's the hard part. Jesus did that for us, and he offers us eternal life as a gift. Uh, I can't accept that. You're rejecting the gift? Don't reject the gift. You reject the gift. Listen, when you reject the gift of salvation, you're choosing eternity and hell for yourself. I know that's a strong statement, but it's true. I plead with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only way you get to heaven. Now, once you trust Christ as your Savior, you not only have everlasting life to look forward to with the Lord, and you have it even now, but we can only experience it to some level because we're still here on this planet. But not only do you have everlasting life now, with that comes the guarantee that He's going to take you at the rapture. Think of it. Just think of it. Right now, Jesus is in heaven. He lived on this earth. He was and is a real person, and at the same time, God himself, God in the flesh, he left this planet and he basically said, I'm coming back one day to take my church home to be with me. Now the church refers to not a denomination, it refers to all those who have put their faith in Christ the Savior. They are the body of Christ, the church. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so we see this promise to believers and we see the text of the Bible, again, pointing, pointing, pointing to the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, it says, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. If they knew at the time that Jesus Christ was not coming back anytime soon, wouldn't it have been a waste of time to be waiting? No, the fact that they are instructed to be waiting for him to come back shows he could come back at any moment. It is not a waste of time to look for the rapture. Go with me to chapter 15. Same book, 1 Corinthians. Go with me to chapter 15. It says in verse 51... Behold, I show you a mystery. We, believers, Paul, by the way, he includes himself in this. And he's talking about the rapture. He in, he's includes himself as one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, have died. But we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep. Paul puts himself into the group that may be alive when Jesus comes back. He was looking for the Lord. Verse 52, in a moment, Adamas, we get our word ad- Adam from it. Something so small, you can't even see it with the human eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Again, he included himself. Now, with that in mind, now stay here in 1 Corinthians 15, In view of the fact that there is a resurrection of the dead and that Jesus is coming back at any moment, jump down to verse 58. Therefore, this is a concluding truth, because there is life after death, because there is resurrection, because all those in Christ have the promise that Jesus is going to come back and take us home, and that we should be looking for him. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the the Lord. Isn't that amazing, verse 58? See, the imminent return of Christ, the rapture of the church, is a motivator. And the fact he could come back at any moment, it is a motivator for us to be living our lives for him and not wasting our lives as Christians. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, a lot of Christians don't want to labor today. By the way, that word labor, you might say, oh, that sounds like hard work and toil and sweat. Wonder what it is in the Greek. Well, you nailed it already. That is what the word means. It means hard work, toil. It's translated sometimes in our King James Bible as trouble. By the way, if you truly live for Christ, there will be some trouble. Paul says, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're living for Christ, you're public with your Christianity. If you're public with your Christianity, you're going to get blasted by some people. Okay? Don't let that bother you. Say, well, I must be doing something right. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Once we are saved, God wants his children to faithfully live for him. He wants us to live pure and dedicated lives to him and his cause. Above all, he wants us to share the gospel with the lost, just as someone had done for us. Can I ask you a question? Do you remember when you first understood the gospel? Do you remember? I remember like it was yesterday. Aren't you glad there were faithful Christians who cared enough to explain the gospel to you so that you could be saved? Aren't you glad there was, maybe you got saved through reading a tract. Aren't you glad that somebody took the time and the energy to put those thoughts on paper and then get them printed, invested the money, so that you could one day read a little pamphlet and, and how to be sure of going to heaven? Aren't you glad there are people putting out publications that have the gospel all the way through them to where you can read it and be saved? Faith comes by hearing. You can hear with your eyes, in a sense. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Folks, listen. If somebody cared enough about me... And about you to share the gospel with us, that made the difference between us spending forever in hell or spending forever in heaven. Should we not, as believers, do the same? Yes. Yes, we should. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Your life matters as a Christian. I know there are some believers who will hear this. There's all kinds of weird false doctrine out there today, folks. Listen, read your Bible okay stay in the Bible am I against preachers on the internet no because then I'd be against myself there are some good ones but you know what I would recommend you do not that I have all the answers because I have people ask me what about this guy what about that I say I've never heard of him see it's like the wild wild west but there are some I do know about ask and I can tell you some to stay away from for sure and by the way, it's the majority of them. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but there are some that you can really benefit from. First John 2 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Abide in him. When? Now. Now. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I got off track. Here's the point. There are people out there right now, big movement of people, and the way this, a lot of this was, I wouldn't say it's a new doctrine, but it's being popularized by the internet. Well, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, God is just, you know, you're accepted in Christ, so here's their, where their conclusion Therefore, the idea of you having to or, or that you're supposed to serve the Lord or that you're going to stand at, the, at some sort of a judgment one day and all this kind of stuff, that's legalism. That's false doctrine. That's backloading the gospel. No, you saying that is heresy. All we're asking you to do is read. It'll clear up this foolishness that's being preached today. First John 2, verse 28, and now little children abide in him. I'll define these terms in a minute. That when he shall appear, that's the rapture. When he shall appear, we who are saved, that's the little children, and now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That wouldn't be there if there weren't Christians who are going to be ashamed when they see Jesus at the rapture. And who are they? They're the ones who are not abiding in him, who are not serving him, who are not making their lives count for Christ, not to get to heaven, but because you're going to heaven, because you're responding positively to salvation by grace. The imminent return of Christ at the rapture will motivate us in many areas of our lives. And several of them are found here in 1 John two 28. First, It will motivate us to abide in him. That's what verse 28 says. Now, the word abide, it simply means to stay or remain in a given place. It's the same word as used as in John chapter 15 when John, same writer, said, if we abide in him and he abides in us, right? First John John chapter 15. Here we have it. The word abide means to stay or remain in fellowship, to stay close to Christ. John is writing to the believers of his day, telling them to stay in fellowship with Christ. Now, he was telling them. He did not say, catch this, he did not say someday there will be a generation that will need to abide in Christ because Jesus will come back then. He was telling them to abide in Christ now. And what does that point to? The imminent return of Jesus Christ could take place at any time. He said, you abide in him now because he's coming back. He was looking for the Lord and exhorting his readers to do the same. Now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. But not only that, secondly, as we abide in him, it will give us confidence when we see him. The word confidence means boldness or openness of speech. It is the idea of, listen, it is the idea of one with nothing to hide and therefore able to be bold and have confidence. Do you get the picture? It's very plain. Isn't it just plain in Scripture how it should be? For those who want to abide in Christ, who are living their lives for Christ, who are making each day count for Christ, imagine sitting there reading your Bible or witnessing to a lost person, or you are in prayer communicating with your heavenly Father, or sitting here in a church service listening to the Word of God, studying the Word of God together. And while you are reading your Bible or witnessing to a lost person or praying for others or being active in a church service, all of a sudden, literally, in an atom of time, in a measurable moment of time, i mean, you're reading your Bible and Jesus, eyeball to eyeball. You know what? If you are doing the will of God, you're going to have confidence when you see him. He catches you doing his will could there be anything better than that oh lord i was just praying to you yeah i know that lord i was just i, I know what you were learning as you were just now reading my lord i just led that person yeah i know that was the last person that completed the church and that's why i'm here could be you could be me that's motivating That's motivating. Face to face at the rapture. But you know what, folks? As important as this is, and we have this beautiful balanced text there in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Unfortunately, third, if we abide, we will not be ashamed, which means to suffer disgrace. But if we don't abide in him, we will be ashamed. We will suffer disgrace. Oh, no, no, I don't believe that. We're just accepted in Jesus. He sees us like Jesus because we're in Christ. Yeah, there is truth in that. There is truth in that. But folks, there is the judgment seat of Christ. We are accountable for how we live as Christians. And we are going to give an account. And if you don't think we are, you are dishonest with the word of God if we abide, we will not be ashamed. The fact that we will see Christ soon should make us willing to live for Christ now. If I'm going to see him soon, I should live for him now. That way when he shows up, I will have confidence and I won't be ashamed of myself. But there will be believers who decide to stay home from church to go fishing on the lake. And they miss church even though they know they should be there. Well, I'm under grace. That's a foolish statement. Of course you're under grace. If you're saved, you're under grace. You're in grace. But grace is to be used to glorify God, not to live in the flesh. Amen. Some believers will be fantasizing in front of a movie screen or a video watching filth. And Jesus will come back at that very moment. No one knows. God knows. God knows. He knows. And imagine being there watching filth on a TV or computer or whatever and all of a sudden face-to-face with Jesus. Jump down just a couple verses. 1 John 3, the thought is continuing, you see. 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now look at this. What's he talking about? The rapture in this passage. Remember, verse 28 is just a couple verses before verse 1 through 3, the next chapter. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope, this joyful anticipation of seeing Christ, purifies himself, even as he is pure. What do you mean purifies himself? I thought when we get saved, we are pure. Yes, in Christ, positionally, we are pure. But folks, this has to do with the Christian life and how we live our lives. We need to be separated from that which is evil. We need to forsake the things of the world and cling to the Lord and his will for us, which is found in the word of God. Which leads us to our second point here. It will not only motivate us to abide in him, but secondly, it will motivate us to live pure lives. Verse 3. Hope means joyful anticipation of what is coming. If we are joyfully anticipating seeing the Lord, it will have a purifying effect on our lives. We should be want to be doing what is right when the Lord comes back. Oh, that troubles me. It, it makes me paranoid. Listen, if we're living for Christ, why be paranoid? You're doing what's right. Kids, your mom goes out, runs an errand, or your mom and dad go out and run an errand. You know. Mom and dad are gone. What do you do? You, you try to think of all the evil things you can do while they're gone? Or they say, well, we'll be home around nine. By the way, parents, don't tell them that. We'll be home around nine. And so they leave. Bye, mom and dad. And you see them drive down the road. And, all right, here we go. <laughs> we can live it up till nine. And so long as everything's cleaned up, they won't know. Yeah, there's a problem though. There's a, you got a bigger problem than your parents. It's the heavenly father. And he's been watching everything. Do you know what? If we are not trying to live a secret, twisted, sinful, carnal, fleshly life, we don't have to worry about when our Heavenly Father through Christ shows up. We don't have to worry when we see Jesus, if we're abiding in him, if we're living for him. Do you get the point? Now, here's every man has his hope. Purifies himself. What does the word purify mean? It has the same root word as the word holy or sanctify. The very first way we purify ourselves as Christians is by being in the Word of God and letting it wash our minds. It washes us, it cleans us up. We need to look to the Lord by faith and then obey His Word. We trust in Him, He gives us the power, and then we obey. Him. And if we are living each day that way, we don't have to be ashamed when Jesus comes back because we're right in the middle of his will. We can have confidence at his coming, but we need to abide. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I know I made uh, a little mention of verse 13 earlier, but but look at these verses. Titus 2 in verses 11. Well, we begin in verse 11. Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. This is what grace teaches. If you, you know, I'm under grace, I'm under grace. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to share the gospel and all. I don't have to, you know, I can watch anything I want. It's all under the blood, all that. Wait, Wait a minute. You're not being taught by grace. You're being taught by the devil. Listen, by the way, listen, people... Be careful of the music you listen to. Christian rock stations are not Christian stations, they're rock stations. Rock music was created by very corrupt, perverted, twisted, nasty, dark musicians who are not saved. They're the ones who created it. You don't clean it up by putting Christian words to it. The music is evil and it produces rebellion. If you are letting your kids listen to that stuff They have a streak of rebellion, and it's feeding the rebellion. And by the way, don't bother writing me on this. My feet are set in concrete. I've dealt with this stuff for years. Be careful. What does grace? Okay, I'm under grace. Amen. I am too, and I am thrilled. But you know what? Here's what grace teaches me. Teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, worldly desires, cravings. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking, there it is again, present tense, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Okay? He redeemed us, but he not only redeemed us, he's in the business of purifying us in this life to where our character comes more in line with his character, to where our condition comes more in line with our position in Christ. We wonder why so many Christians are defeated and powerless and carnal and ineffective and not sharing the gospel and are afraid to share the gospel. It's because we are feeding the flesh. That's why we're Laodicean. We're trying to be worldly and godly at the same time, and that's called double mindedness, and that's you're unstable in all your ways. The Lord says, Forget about this junk in the world, it's a dying system. Live your life for the one who can bring blessing. So what do we see? We see it'll motivate us to abide in Christ. It'll motivate us to live pure lives. And third, it will motivate us to share the gospel. Folks, time is short. Turn with me to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. Paul says in Philippians three, verse 17. Now, what was his life focused on. What was one of the great drivers of his life? We've already covered this, the last motivation about the plight of the lost, the eternal destiny of mankind. Paul said, I feel like I have a debt to pay the world, Jew and Gentile. I need to get them the gospel. Folks, this was such a thing with him. It was such a reality in his life. No matter what it took, even his very own life, and that's what it ended up taking, he was martyred. He was willing because he didn't want people to go to hell. And he says in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, be followers together of me. The word follower, the Greek word, we get our English word imitator from. He said, imitate me. In other words, be like me. Live your life like I'm living my life for the same purpose. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk as you have us for an example or an example. Right, So it wasn't just him, there were others as well. Jump down to verse 20. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior. There's that word look again, present tense. We're looking. We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my brethren, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, my brethren, therefore, based on what he just said, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly Beloved, I beseech Yodius, I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Here it is again. It keeps coming up. The Lord is at hand. It's imminency. And all around those verses on imminency, what do you see? Exhortations to be living our lives for Christ and the gospel. This is such a motivation. One more passage and we'll be through. Turn with me to Romans 13. Folks, listen. I hope this is becoming an issue with you as God is working in my life with this. In the days in which we live, I believe it's because Jesus is coming back soon. I believe there's a motivation, uh, no, not a motivation. I believe there is a movement of the Holy Spirit in the true church today for us to be bolder than we have ever been before with the truth. There is something going on among the true believers today, and I am finding, now not all of them, okay? I'm not saying, well, what do you mean by true? Uh, one is truly trusted Christ the Savior. That's all I'm getting at. And I'm not saying every Christian's going to be this way, but I am finding more and more believers who are saying, "You know what? I've gotten to the point where I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to share the gospel, I'm going to live for Christ, and if you think I'm a nut, at least I'm screwed to the right bolt." <laughs> Romans 13:11 and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now. Is our salvation nearer than when we believed? If that's true in his day, it's certainly true in our days. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The night is far spent. The day is, is at hand. How do you know the day is at hand? Because the sun is coming up. Let me tell you something, folks. The son of righteousness is coming. His name is Jesus. And we need to be serious about this. One preacher of the past said this. I am not looking for death. I am looking for him. Isn't that beautiful? I'm not looking for death. I'm looking for him. He did not see him at the rapture. He passed on, but when he died, he saw him face to face and he's been with him ever since if you've never trusted in jesus christ as your savior please dear friend please trust in him as your savior today those of you viewing please Put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ right now as your Savior. He's the only way you can go to heaven. It's not Him and your faithfulness. It's not faith in Christ and you living your life for Him. Because if you think you have to live your life for Him, you're trusting in your performance. And if you're trusting in your performance, you're not trusting in Christ. He says, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior, Isaiah 43, 11. Trust Him if you never have